Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This episode features Jodie Hill, founder of Thrive Law. After an extensive career practicing law, Jodie decided to eventually found her own firm. In this episode, we discuss what law firm management is really like, including what junior lawyers need to know about firms' businesses and business development and more. Let's get into it. So hi, Jodie. Thanks so much for coming on the show. No, thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming, actually. I think we've, we've spoken about it a few <laughs> times, haven't we? So I'm glad we've managed to fix a date. Yeah, no, that's just me and my email management skills generally. I think that's uh, there's nothing to do with you. That's just my inability to keep on top of everything that's all going on at once. Um, and I guess that's a that's a very unique segue into what we're talking about today, <laughs> management generally in firms and you know within the legal profession and law. Um, and I think hopefully it's going to be a really insightful episode because I think a lot of students, a lot of aspiring lawyers, and even those who are in that kind of junior level of practice now as a trainee or a pupil, or whatever it is, um, you know, the idea of management. And partnership, for example, is is one route, but actually going the other and kind of setting up your own firm and kind of being up that management role, you know, right at the top is going to be a really interesting topic and something that honestly, I don't think a lot of people will either know much about or, or perhaps kind of understand fully. So thanks so much for coming on and kind of um, agreeing to share your thoughts with us on, on what I hope will be a really insightful uh, discussion, really. Uh, but before we get too much into the kind of management side of things, a nice little icebreaker question I like to ask when people come on the show is, is why did you originally want to be a lawyer in the first place? And for people who haven't met you, what's your sort of background today? Yeah, of course. So I actually trained as a barrister initially, mm-hmm. and I really, I, I always wanted to do the advocacy. That was my passion. Mm-hmm. And I really, really loved the tradition of the bar. And I just wanted to help people and give people a voice. I, I see that as an advocate's role, giving people a voice and mm-hmm. so I, I went to the bar and I, I actually um, I took the bar exams in Leeds joined Inner Temple and I actually cross-qualified um, mm. which is quite unusual to do before you've done pupillage but I got offered a pupillage at the same time as I got offered a job as a solicitor and mm-hmm. it was just I mean you you know you know what it's like people will, will try for years and years and years to get either of those and I got offered them both at the same time and um, Unfortunately, the the one the, the pupillage was in London, and I just bought a house in Leeds, and the role was in Leeds for for the solicitor uh, to be a solicitor. So, I I actually cross qualified, but what I am able to do in my current role and as an employment solicitor, as most people will know, is that you can do your own advocacy. Mm-hmm. So actually, I got the best of both worlds, and I was able to give people a voice throughout the entire process and actually support them for not just the hearing, but actually the entire claim. So, so yeah, I did that in 2010, I was called to the bar and then became a solicitor in 2013 and then set up my own firm two years ago. So actually quite quickly, mm-hmm. um, I think most people wait about 20 years before they do it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I know it's definitely, it, it's, it's definitely been a challenge and it's been really difficult, but actually I wouldn't have it any other way because now I can be, I can do the advocacy, be a solicitor and be an entrepreneur all, all in one, which I just love. Fantastic. And cross-qualification, I don't actually know many people who have kind of actually you know gone through that entire route to the route of actually being cross-qualified. And, and it's certainly something that you kind of read about as being theoretically possible, but actually knowing many people who've, who've done it in practice, um, it's not many, at least for me and, and kind of my network and people I know. So for people who are listening who don't know what cross-qualification is or kind of what the benefits are, what, what was your sort of a, appeal for doing that? Yeah, so for me, um, it was slightly different because the rules have changed now. I think now right. you do have to do a training contract as well as the 
QLTT, which is the Qualified Lawyers Transfer Test. And <laughs> um, when I did it, you just had to have the equivalent training of a training contract. You didn't have to have a formal training contract. So the experience is the same, effectively. <laughs> but for me, it was um, you know understanding well where where did I want to be and what did I want to do. And being an employment solicitor, I was able to do the advocacy. So I actually cross-qualified on that basis um, because I was able to do both the solicitor role and the barrister role within the solicitor role, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but there are certain areas of law where obviously you can't do that. So it does definitely depend. And I think if you are doing the bar course and considering cross-qualifying, it's certainly something that you can do. Um, you would just need to check with um, the, the relevant providers. I think I did mine with, with Kaplan law school the qualif uh, the qltt there's not that many places that do it mm -hmm. um but but equally there's you know have a look because if you're you know you don't know until you get into that process and actually the whole process of i went for so many pupillage interviews and they are just incredibly difficult and mm. uh, you know i think it can be very very disheartening for a lot of people because there's less pupillages than there are training contracts so mm. um and obviously there's less people that do the bar but equally don't i think my my message to people is don't be fixated on i'm going to be a barrister i'm going to be a solicitor like like follow the flow of wherever you're going and mm. actually Actually switching paths is okay, switching between solicitor or barrister is okay, switching between areas if you're already qualified, that's okay. And I think if you are if you have that open mind and that flexibility and just see where it takes you, actually I'd, I would never have been able to have my own law firm if I was a barrister. So, well, I probably could, but it's <laughs> much harder to do that as a barrister because you don't know all of the client care stuff because that's not mm. what barristers do. So, yeah, it's been it's been a really really interesting journey, and I would definitely you know, advise people to, to consider that if they're finding one of the routes difficult. Mm. Um, or actually, I've actually seen quite a few people do it. Kind of, you know, they've been a solicitor for twenty years, and then they're like, do you know, what? I really want to be a barrister, and, yeah. and they do it the other way around. And um, and I love that. I love that people are able to to do that. And actually, I think when you've got more experience, it is a lot easier to switch, and it's easier. I think it's. I think don't quote me on this, but I think it's easier. <laughs> uh, it's easier to to cross qualify from a solicitor to a barrister. I think than the other way around. Mm -hmm. um, just in terms of uh, expense and, and exams and stuff, but um, it's changing all the time. But yeah, it's definitely something people should consider and not be so fixated on. Because I think we do, don't you find that people are like, I want to be a partner by this age, I want to do yeah. this by this age. And actually, you know, there's sometimes things happen, life events, mental health, like there's so many areas of your life. And you can almost put this artificial timeline in that actually can cause you to have issues because you're mm. creating this artificial timeline. So actually, you know, being more flexible with yourself, I think is really helpful. Absolutely. It's really interesting you say that because I've, I've sort of read reports and studies where they survey, you know, aspiring lawyers when they're about to start their law degree. And I think as a result of culture and just watching TV and stuff, people overwhelmingly want to be barristers. And, and certainly when I was going into my LLB, that was kind of my primary understanding of that's what lawyers did. They stand up in court, they, they, you know, yell at the other side and they win the case. That's kind of what it was all about. But then actually, when you look at the statistics, when people finish university, it's like 50% of people don't even go into, you know, legal careers. They're, you know, they're doing so much with just a law degree. And that obviously doesn't even account for people coming in from that non-law background. So, um, you know, I totally agree with your point in terms of the idea that, uh, you know, you can always kind of switch it up and there's no one route into the bar. I, I recently interviewed someone who worked as a, a personal trainer, I think for like 20 years, and then just, you know, with no legal background whatsoever, just decided to become 
become a barrister. I thought it was sort of fascinating. Do you so... know what? That's so funny. I did a uh, I did a pupilage with someone, and he was a DJ in in Australia, <laughs> and then you know, and he went to the bar at like forty, and he and he said, wow. yeah, it's the best thing I ever did. I love it." Um, and I think the bar does attract people where they have had that change of heart and, and they come mm. a lot later. And you do find that people do really, really well at the bar having had that life experience because obviously at the bar you're self-employed and you, mm. you're, you I personally think it can be quite socially isolating mm. in that role. Whereas obviously in a firm you work more as a team and you're in an office or not as, as, as the time, yeah. <laughs> at the moment you might be working from home. Um, but, you know, I think, I think it is really interesting because uh, people do assume you're right that because in America I think it, you do both don't you and it's just you're mm-hmm. just an attorney so there's that misconception that that's what um that's what you do and I did a I did a YouTube video on this actually just about what the difference is between a barrister and a solicitor because so many people ask me and they're like but aren't they the same thing and I'm like no they're different <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, I can imagine having an in-house DJ at your firm must be pretty, pretty good, <laughs> be pretty cool good well. bonus of the job. It'd be great for the Christmas party or something like that. Save yourself on some uh, music fees. Um, and I think you just kind of what you talked about there kind of raises the kind of broader notion of just your motivations for law in general. And if you can kind of demonstrate your, your passion and motivation from whatever background you're in. Um, yeah, that's kind of a real critical kind of key part of, of getting into the profession and, and ultimately being successful. And that's also what I wanted to kind of ask you as well when it came to, you know, this this big question of kind of founding your own firm which obviously in theory sounds like and I'm sure in practice is a huge kind of momentous gargantuan task um what was the what was the kind of real why there as to as to why you eventually you know considered that route and then actually you know took action and went down it so my my route is slightly as as I've you probably gathered is quite um unorthodox in that first Mm -hmm. of all I've cross-qualified and then then I actually had a mental breakdown and I fell out of love with the law for a little Mm -hmm. bit and I was actually off work for a period of time and the difficulty for me at that time was every every my entire life was structured around my career in law and mm. then when i became so unwell i had to leave my job it was then taken away from me and i, I I can't describe I mean anyone that's in the law will know like you, you are you just work so hard to get there mm. and you know having that taken away is is not through any fault of anybody it's just from poor, really poor mental health and and I had a breakdown in 2017 in the January and I left my job um, as, a, as a solicitor and I decided to be a consultant Mm-hmm. Um, after that, because uh, I still had bills to pay, um, and actually, mm-hmm. what I decided to do, and and, and that, this is this is a really um, this is a really good point actually, because what I decided to do was become a consultant because there weren't any jobs as a solicitor that I felt I could go into with my poor mental health at that time, Mm -hmm. uh, because of billable hours, because of the environment, because of the pressure to do networking and business development, I just wasn't there yet. Mm -hmm. So being a consultant allowed me to work the hours I wanted it allowed and consult by consultant. I mean, I worked for a firm, but on a self-employed basis. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it actually gave me that flexibility to get better. And I then quite quickly built my confidence up, my skills. I was actually like, actually, I, I can do this. I am actually good at this. And, you know, your confidence is taken away from you when you become that unwell. And once I got my um, confidence back, I was able to, through therapy and medication and just generally quite a lot of hard work, mm. um, I actually built my case up really quickly. And I was thinking, oh, God, I could actually do with a paralegal or a PA. And and then, um, you know, because you, you, you're, you're used to that in an office, you're used to a team, you know, you're not mm. used to doing it on your own. And 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 then I thought, well, I, I actually specialize in, in employment law and mental health in the workplace and supporting people. So I kind of know how to how to create that environment. So 
I, I took a really big risk, actually. I was only 29 when I decided to do this. And I mm. decided to set up my own firm and I applied to the SRA and went for, um, you have to apply to, to have a firm and you have to pay a fee and you have to go, it's all a bit boring, so I won't go into mm. that. But <laughs> actually, it's it's quite scary doing it because you're thinking, oh, what if they say no? And mm. um, but, but the whole process was relatively straightforward, actually. The hardest bit is actually doing it. You know, the bit before is, is relatively straightforward. And I would say if anyone wants to set up their own firm um do it because actually the you, you know you can get all the stuff online and i had no support and i'd just come out of a mental breakdown so if i can do it you know i think anyone <laughs> can is my message on that but but equally having then got the um so you've got your once you once you do the application you get a, an email from the sra and i was actually on holiday in um in Mexico, it was Christmas Eve, and I got this email, and it was basically words to the effect of "You've now got a law firm," and I was like, oh, wow. "That's amazing!" I know, wow. I literally, I was like, "This is just incredible." And I'd gone to Mexico for Christmas because I was having, um, I wanted to come off my medication. So actually, that week I'd come off the medication as well. So it was just, it was a really, really good week and a really mm. great Christmas. But the hard work then ensued, and actually, um, you know, putting that together, we didn't launch. Till I say, I always say we, it was me. It's a, it's a thing. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I set up in the March two years ago. So 2018, first of March was the, was the day. And I, for, from January to March, I just spent an awful lot of time. Obviously I was still doing the consultancy work for three mm -hmm. firms. Um, I had to brand, do my marketing, create my business plan, get funding, get my insurance. Like there were so many things that I had to do. And the more I went into it, the more I had to do. Um, mm. So it was really, that part of it was really difficult, but setting any business up is difficult, but it's more difficult in a law firm because you're highly regulated, you've got all the compliance, mm. you've got all the SRA stuff. So, you know, I'm the culp coffer and the money laundering officer. <laughs> I'm all of them. <laughs> and anyone that's practicing will know what I mean by that. And it's, um, mm. it's, it's effort to say the mm. least, but um, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I, I genuinely, I love the culture that we have. It's all focused around diversity and inclusion and it's everything that we do has mental health at the heart of it and i think mm -hmm. that's a really really different approach to um a law firm because mm -hmm. you know most law firms are not not necessarily all of them but most law firms are very much about how many hours you work and you mm -hmm. know climbing that corporate ladder um so yeah i mean it's not for everybody and lots of people want to be in a really big firm but equally um it works for me works for my team and i've got a team of 10 now um mm -hmm. which I'm really proud of because they've they've come from all over the country from London, Nottingham, Leeds, Manchester. So yeah, it's a really, really diverse team. And um, actually, founding the firm was probably the best thing I ever did. But having gone through that breakdown, I don't think at the time, I didn't even think I was going to be a lawyer anymore. And mm. then and now I have an award winning law firm. So it just shows that even when you have those really, really low points, actually, you, you can you can come out of it and you can turn it around and i think that's a really important message for anyone who's struggling right now mm. especially because you can't get work experience you can't get training contracts it's really hard and i know that i i mentor some students and i know that they're really struggling because they just there's no paralegal jobs at the moment and they're really struggling to get into law and they're thinking mm. well what do i do um and actually you know t time is very much a healer but also don't like i'd say don't give up on that and i think you know if your mental health is struggling even whether you're doing exams or trying to find jobs or in a job you know be kind to yourself and, and the mm. theme last last week was kindness and it, it very much resonates with everything that we that we do and i think 
as a as a lawyer we are as as lawyers we are very hard on ourselves we try to be perfect we try to be the best mm. and that can be quite damaging mm. um so yeah i think yeah in terms of build, building up the firm it's been a real challenge and there there have been real highs and real lows but you know to win two awards in the first year was pretty cool i, lo- I love that <laughs> <laughs> it um, up the awards over, yeah i totally <laughs> wasn't expecting it i'd just been on holiday and i flew back for the awards and um and then we won and I was like wow okay and I think <laughs> I think because we we're so small and I don't see us as you know we're just I'm just doing me and mm-hmm. so when we won those awards it was it they were both for diversity and inclusion um for a mental health campaign that I've been running and actually you know that acknowledgement was it kind of made it a bit more real because because mm. I'm just kind of plodding on doing me and I kind of forget sometimes that I'm running a, a law firm <laughs> mm, yeah throughout your answer you were hinting at a few kind of unfortunate sticking points that I think the law has in terms of its reputation and mental health obviously being one of them and the, the kind of stigmas outside of law alone are kind of quite damaging enough but law particularly has quite a kind of um, a negative image we say when it comes to things like billable hours and billable hour targets and the fact that you know there's a huge kind of intense workload culture in the city particularly so you know I guess when you took that forward into management and you started to move more away from you know actually practicing law to helping to deliver law um, what was it in addition to sort of mental health that you kind of set as your priority when it came to okay if I'm going to do this myself I'm going to do this my way and I'm going to try to put my own kind of image on it yeah so I think I think that you, you hit the nail on the head there there are a, a number of areas and billable hours was something I didn't want to have so mm-hmm. we, we charge our clients on a retainer basis as well as hourly rate um so we we kind of flip flip it depending on what type of support they need um but actually the the, the way that we char- charge I wanted to be super 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 transparent I know that we've got the SR transparency rules but Mm -hmm. like we go way over and above that and literally try and do fixed fees for wherever we can um so that's something that was really was really important to me because i think the majority of issues are you know solicitors are really expensive they're really inaccessible and i wanted to change the way that people saw solicitors i wanted to be more visible online i set up a youtube channel instagram twitter and doing lots of stuff that a lot of law firm managing partners aren't doing Mm-hmm. Um, I know like lots of lawyers are on Instagram, Twitter and everything, but there's not a lot of, um, you know, managing partners or managing directors or CEOs at that level doing all of these things. So mm-hmm. having that accessibility and, and being able to to give that advice to, to people coming into the law was something I was really passionate about as well. And I teach part time um, on the LPC. So I teach mm-hmm. employment law and um, I kind of see that side of it as, you know, from from bring, see, you know seeing those students come up and every year um, seeing where they go on and what they what they end up doing. And I and it's it's great to see so many people coming into the law. But also, I think part of it is I'm really seeing the challenges that they have in terms of actually finding a job. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to do by setting up Thrive and the way I manage it was to have um obviously we have vacation schemes but we wanted to have a relationship with the university where we provide one day a week for 14 weeks as part of their law degree Mm -hmm. so they actually have practical experience before they even do the lpc so Mm -hmm. we take on um, three students every year from january to june and 
it's been amazing because they've grown with the team. In fact, the ones we took last year, we've given them jobs. <laughs> so, um, well. <laughs> yeah, so it just shows though, because, you know, it's effectively a long, really long interview, but they're doing mm. it as part of their, instead of a dissertation, actually. And I really wanted to do that because I went to Leeds Beckett University and now I teach there. And I just think it's a really nice, first of all, it's a nice thing to give back, but also it's actually something that's really important to have practical experience. Mm. Um, so that was something. And then the other side of it was really about supporting women in law. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm an ambassador for, for Sally Penny on the women in law stuff. And I do some work with Cynthia Jakes on her uh, women lawyers and mothers. And I think it's just so important because so many women come into law and there's hardly any of us at the top. Mm -hmm. And there's a real there's a real issue there. And it's not saying that, you know, women are mass massively discriminated against in every firm. But there's certainly an unconscious bias when it comes to women when they have children. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have children, by the way, but I'm just just caveat that. But I speak <laughs> I speak from experience from advising a lot of people in these situations. Um, mm. And actually, you know, I wanted to be in an environment where when I have children, I don't feel like I'm going to be discriminated against because it's my firm. Mm. So, yeah. um, so if I've created that culture where we support people, we work flexibly, we work we work smart, we work from home, um, all of those ways of working and, and the ways of managing the team allow for a more diverse workforce whether that's women disabilities different backgrounds and um for me that was really really important because we want to truly attract the best people but from a range of backgrounds and not just you know just not, not just from one particular like or from london for example mm -hmm. so we've got a leads and a london office but you know it's really important to have a much more diverse workforce rather than everybody from the same school you know i just don't think that's the way forward um so yeah so you're quite a few and uh, that was a really long answer but uh, do you know there's, <laughs> there's quite there's quite a lot that went into the, the a lot of the things that i thought were wrong with the law i've tried to mm -hmm. change and do it differently and actually um the sra have put us on their um equality diversity mentoring scheme and we're actually the only small firm that are a, are a mentor so we're up there with Eversheds and baker mckenzie oh, and they've asked us to mentor other firms. And I just think, oh my God, that like, as if they're asking me because I've only yeah. been doing it two years. Um, and I don't I don't have any other partners. It's I'm the only senior person in the firm. I do all the management, all the compliance and all the diversity stuff. So, mm -hmm. you know, to be recognized by our regulatory bodies, a pretty good thing, but also the, um, we're doing loads of work with the Law Society and we were featured for our culture actually mm -hmm. by, the Law Society in their mental health guidance so about managing mental health in the workplace. So all around the culture and management style. Um, and they actually featured the firm. So yeah, I think they're the kind of, that's where we're trying to go is trying to lead the way with that and show people that no matter what size firm you're in, you can achieve diversity and inclusion. You can have a mentally positive place to work. And mm. it's about, I think for me, it's about shifting that mindset because we are in many firms still in that old culture of you know like you said billable hours many as many hours as possible and just to be seen like don't leave till the partners leave that kind of mm -hmm. attitude and that's that's something i we just don't have at thrive i just i won't tolerate it <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's absolutely fantastic um and uh, you know it's, it's great to kind of see how you kind of put your own stamp on law and, and kind of given it its own image you know from from the direction and stuff <laughs> Thank you.
you know, we've talked a lot this episode about kind of going forward and kind of you know, founding the firm and the journey to date and the kind of priorities that you put in place in terms of giving it its kind of brand and its USP and its culture and so on. Um, but I did want to kind of ask you just a little bit about the sort of business side of thing in terms of actually delivering legal services to clients. I think this is something that um, a lot of students don't don't really get exposure to, you know, in their lectures and their classrooms. Instead, you know, the, the focus is so much on what the law is versus, you know, the kind of business development side of things, or at least or at least just the management and kind of how 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 you actually go about delivering those legal services. Um, I just kind of wanted to give your thoughts as someone who, you know, went from practicing law in terms of doing those contract reviews and you know all those kind of typical legal tasks to one where you are kind of actually trying to win clients maintain relationships and kind of manage that whole side of things what your sort of insights were really and the kind of advice you'd give for for students to kind of even if they don't end up going to that management role themselves but to bring forward some of those skill sets into the firms that they they may join yeah I think it's really important to start young I was networking as a paralegal so Mm -hmm. I was going out and winning clients as a paralegal because I I like networking, I like people, um, some networking I don't like, but you know, it's that kind of, it's that environment and that, and, and knowing, knowing what you're doing and, and getting into, just throwing yourself in actually. And mm-hmm. I think it's really important not to wait until you're a partner or until you're an associate to start that. You mm-hmm. need to build your network. And the only reason I was able to start my firm so young and to grow so quickly was because I was I was all I already had my own network and mm. so I was able like I a lot of I'd probably say 95% of what we do comes through me from the firm very very few things will come through anyone else and that's just because it's my network of people mm-hmm. that that know me so your network is so important and as regardless of what level you're at you can be networking and I get all of my staff involved even my apprentices so I know that in some firms they don't let you um, mm. Um, and that can be a real challenge, but you can network in other ways in your own time. Mm-hmm. So even where your firm won't facilitate it, think about your think about your personal growth and what you need in mm-hmm. your you know because actually if you then brought a, brought a client in off the back of it, you know it might take ten years, but you you know mm-hmm. networking doesn't happen. You don't just convert a client overnight. You need to build over its relationships and go to consistent groups and go around in the same circle so that people actually know your face and you're always in their mind if something came up in your area Mm. um so a lot of the work that that i do now is is stuff where i've met someone five years ago and you know they're like oh jody could you just help me with this and i'm thinking oh yeah i remember meeting you and Mm -hmm. you know you you might not appreciate the importance of that event at the time um but actually if you're doing the networking as well don't just turn up it's about that consistency of following up add them on linkedin follow them up with an email um and and actually keep in touch with them because Mm -hmm it's kind of a waste of time if you just go to events and get drunk that's fun (laughs) and we've all been there but you know the reality is if you want to really build that network i think that's that's the that's the way to do it so that's the first thing and then Mm -hmm. the second thing um i've really embraced technology and social media um i i'm just about to launch a product which is um an online tech platform which is all focused around well-being at work so it's got Mm -hmm. mental health training it's got um, loads of other stuff around more compliance, like drafting documents and all that, all that jazz. But the point is, is that we as a firm have invested in tech because what mm-hmm. we feel, the whole firm is cloud-based and everyone can work wherever they want. And true to our values, we, we want to 
be accessible. So in order to be accessible, you need to be able to reduce costs. And whilst tech is expensive to develop, it's worth thinking about ways in which tech might help streamline your services. And I know a lot of firms are doing this a lot. You know, you can do all sorts now from automating documents and all sorts of stuff. But actually, that's a really, really um, innovative way for people to, to consider how to, how to do that within their firms and if mm. they've got ideas around that take it to the partners and you know be don't be scared if you've got an idea because they might not have thought about it because that's just that's not the way they trained mm. um so there's definitely that side of it as well and i think I think the commerciality behind running a law firm is is it's totally different running a law firm to doing and practicing law it's mm. the, the role is completely different so my my day i probably i do i get up at five in the morning and mm. i um i do law from five till about eight mm. and then i'm and then i then i do business development i run, manage the team i do calls I do podcasts i go on the news i do all those other things in the daytime and then i, I make sure i have those three hours where i do law so i'm reviewing um documents and you know dra- i do drafting but i do actually very minimal now legal mm. work because I'm, you know, I'm running. I still do. I still do quite a lot for for um, for the team. But equally, you know, when I was a consultant, all I did was legal work. So I was doing less of the entrepreneurial stuff. Mm. But because I've got a good team, I can pass that to them and then just supervise them. Um, so yeah, I think it's quite hard to let go though because you like you are you know you know yeah (laughs) and you know and part of it is uh, you really want to be and we and you know we are i'm involved in every single case and i don't Mm. have the obviously as part of the sra compliance anyway you have to be but um but i would be anyway because it's part i want to know what the clients think i want to know how the team respond to things and i want to see that people do it the way i would and Mm. actually um you know it's it's really nice to see it grow and it's been difficult you know some people do things really differently to how you would and that's challenging because it's your firm but mm-hmm. equally i think delivering those legal services is the, for me is the most important thing was about the quality and accessibility it mm-hmm. had to be accessible for people um because oh, law firms are just seen as p- things for rich people mm-hmm. and whilst we still have to make a living and obviously we still charge for our services throughout the um, pandemic, we've actually had a free advice line because we felt as though there was a a lot of anxiety around what's happening with employment law, with Mm. people's jobs, with people's businesses. So part of that is true, kind of true to our brand and our values was actually we can't, you can't just charge, like they're just one-off questions, you know what I mean? And Mm. it was one of those for me it was one of those things that I just had to do so in February we set it up we've actually helped over one and a half thousand people for free wow. um, which has been very busy for us <laughs> I can imagine yeah, um, but what that what that's meant is you know from our perspective we've we've grown a community mm-hmm. and that's something that it I, was really important to me was to grow a community and we've got loads of groups online and delivering those legal services is a slightly different angle because it's that they're not necessarily our clients right now, but they might be in the future. So from Mm. a networking marketing perspective, we can't go networking per se right now, but what Mm. we can do is contribute to an online community. And I think that's really important. If you're 
a student working whatever whichever whatever level you're at you can certainly get involved in various groups there's loads i know the legal um cheat conference was recently on and that was a, offered a great networking opportunity mm-hmm. and you know there's loads of things that people can do it's just about finding finding them and actually if you're gonna do if you're gonna do networking online put your camera on put your camera on and put your name on so when you log into zoom or these things you can put your name on and then follow up with the people you've spoke to on linkedin mm-hmm. a few people did that to me when i spoke um because i'm a champion for law care and i was speaking at the legal uh, cheat conference and it was it was really nice to see first of all people put the camera on secondly that they followed up and they they came approached me afterwards and i was like that was really really nice and i think mm-hmm. if you're trying to get a job and you're thinking oh how, how am i going to catch people's eye or how am i going to make an impression that's the kind of thing that you need to do you need to do more than just be there absolutely no i agree 100 percent. the idea of consistency i think is a you know almost thinking of things like networking commercial awareness all these things that are commonly labeled as skills they're really habits that you need to kind of you know manifest and, and kind of continue to take forward and um you know it's not quite comparable to, to what you did but i was at a law fair and i you know just had half an hour when i was passing by after i got my um offer with bakers and they were at the law fair and i just kind of offered to to stand behind the desk for a bit and it was a really surreal experience having experienced both sides of that kind of law fair desk because the you know the number of times you meet someone and you offer out an email I don't know if it was just my email personally they didn't care for but the idea that you kind of offer up um you know points of contact and you know I'd say only about five percent of people do you know the people who do take that extra effort to be consistent and to follow up and to to really show an interest are the ones that kind of stand out and I think you you get the most out of that that connection or that that potential network there so um yeah no I agree absolutely wholeheartedly on, on that front as well I do I do think consistency is key and I think that's a really really good point because you know you could go to one you make you can make the effort to go to one event and then if you don't if you're not consistently there and you're not consistently present and you're not following up in the same way then mm-hmm. you're just not going to have the same impact so I think if you're going to show up and be present you might as well then do all the rest of it because you've you've done mm-hmm. the hardest bit um so yeah consistency is really really important and I just touch on briefly on um, a work mm-hmm. experience because this is something that a lot of people have reached out to me about and are really struggling with at the moment and what we've offered and I don't know if other firms are doing this but it might be worth asking is we, we're actually facilitating remote work experience mm-hmm. so they have the ability to say I know how to work remotely which I think is a skill like if you're a student mm-hmm. or you're a law graduate who's never worked remotely I think that can be a challenge and that's why people won't take you on so the way that they've helped is with the help with our free helpline they've helped with drafting blogs on the on the topical areas mm-hmm. um, and so you could reach out to firms and say you know I, I appreciate you you probably don't have an office space right now but I'm happy to help with ad hoc things like blogs and this and that and you know you never know some firms might respond and say do you know what that would be really nice Nice. Mm. And, and that's just it's just another way to get in with firms because it's hard it's, there's a lot of competition and there's going to be less jobs after um, I mean I was speaking to a couple of recruiters today and they were saying there's just no paralegal jobs um, mm. or NQ level because they're the ones that they're furloughing or get mm. or, or making redundant and it's really difficult time in loads of sectors but especially in law because it was already so competitive mm. 
No, I think there's a, there's a huge, you know, I think it's only going to grow really. I've seen personally firsthand in the last sort of few years or so, the, the value of kind of remote internships and remote learning, you know, even especially on a free basis is, is kind of really exploded in popularity among students. And I think going forward, there's going to be a, a, a real kind of potential opportunity there for people to really kind of offer something that, you know, a lot of students will ultimately be craving, which is the ability to just get experience from their bedroom and, you know, the ability to just kind of try to upskill in that way. So um, no, I agree wholeheartedly on that point there and and one more last question i wanted to ask you um which i think is quite an important one really is is just thinking about firm leadership generally um and you know this could potentially relate to partner positions right through to you know someone such as yourself actually going alone and, and making it is it is it a question that it's for everyone or do you think there's a there's a kind of certain knack or a certain kind of personality or a certain kind of skill set that you think is is valuable or, or kind of important for, for people in those sort of positions to have? I don't think it's for everyone. I, I think you do have to have something about you. And I think having, first of all, having, if you're going to go at it alone or be a partner, you're responsible for bringing in work. That's mm. the first thing. So having that network already is obviously going to help. Um, you've got to think, where does your work come from? I think a lot of junior lawyers don't realise how much effort goes into getting that work. If you're in a bigger firm, you've probably got contracts and stuff, so it's slightly different. But, you know, bringing some of those bigger contracts or new contracts in is important for the firm's survival. Um, mm. And and actually, you know, as a junior lawyer, you're, you're just assisting with that. So you have to think that if you want to go up that level, um, you will have a requ- you'll have a number on your head in terms of how much new business you need to bring in. Mm. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the other thing is managing people. Like, I wasn't a manager, really, before I had a small team, but I wasn't a partner before I set mm. up up so you know i've gone from doing the law to running a firm and actually that transition was was a learning curve um Mm -hmm. but i had i made sure and the way that i dealt with that was i got a coach and i got a mentor and i i surrounded myself with people who knew more than me um Mm -hmm. my coach used to be the um head of co-op banks legal team top 100 lawyer and she she guided me through some of those challenging areas that i wasn't quite sure of and you know don't be afraid to ask if you're if you want to go to that next level i would highly recommend getting a coach from and and a mentor they both do very different things mm. and, and and making sure you surround yourself with people who are able to support you on that mission but a lot of people are happy just doing the work and i think you mm. need to work out are you ready to to first of all manage a load of people and secondly do the work and thirdly go get the work there's yeah. quite a lot it's a, it's a lot more um so yeah your billing is likely to go down as well because you're obviously spending a lot more time managing people managing people's really hard it's like mm-hmm. that. i think it's the hardest bit of running a law firm is managing people mm-hmm. because everybody's different and you know that the challenges that people bring are just sometimes you just can't well you just can't predict it um mm-hmm. and, and we like to predict things as lawyers we, like to- <laughs> <laughs> we do we like to know what's going on and that, that idea of certainty is uh yeah for sure a trait i've, I've noticed across all my guests so far <laughs> going on and actually uh, because i've got anxiety you know part of mm. part of the, the nature of the condition is that you don't like uncertainty and you quite mm. like to know what's happening so um curveballs can be difficult however um, throughout this process, I definitely say I am so much more patient and so much more resilient than I've ever been, mm. and that's that's been a journey. Because you know, someone described me as patient the other day, and I've never been described as patient. <laughs> and I was like, "Are we talking about the same person?" They're like, "No, you're really patient." Mm. So um, I think you grow with the role as well, and 
if you're ready to do that step up, just like I say, so make sure your mindset is in the right place. You've got the right people around you because you will need support because it's quite different. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully, you know, on the point of coaching and mentoring, people have kind of had the ability to, to hear from you today and kind of had that first-hand experience and, and advice and tips from yourself. So thanks so much for coming on. Um, where can people go to learn more about yourself and obviously everything we've talked about today with Thrive? Sure. So you can catch us on um, Instagram and Twitter. Um, so my handle is I am Jodie Hill and the firm is Thrive underscore law. And then <laughs> there's just loads of bits on our website as well, which are really helpful. Um, which which is thrivelaw.co.uk and I have a YouTube channel too, but I can send you the link and we can, we can pop those on. Um, with the YouTube stuff, I have been doing quite a lot of bits around um, getting into the law and mm -hmm. just generally supporting people at that level, whether they are doing a law degree, thinking of going into do law degree or transitioning into a legal role. So um, I'll be doing some stuff on the SQE and um, various other ways to qualify because we've just taken on a solicitor apprentice. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk quite a lot about the different routes to qualifying so that people can really think about that in a more open minded manner rather than the traditional LPC training contract route or bar pupillage. Um, so yeah, that's that's me. Fantastic. Well, th well, they all sound like great resources, and uh, for now at least, thanks for taking the time to sort of share some of them today with us uh, on this podcast. So thanks again for coming on, JD. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another instalment of the More From Law podcast. If you want to keep up to date with the show and make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and sign up to my newsletter over at www.harryclarklaw.com. You can also follow me on most social media channels at the handle Harry Clark Law. If you enjoyed the show, please give it a rating and a review on the iTunes store as this helps others learn about the show and be sure to share it with your networks. You can also support the show by donating to my Patreon, which helps support the running and production costs of the show. For now though, I'll see you in the next episode of More From Law.